0: Welcome back to another episode of the Battle Hard Live Easy podcast. As we as a nation were preparing to exit lockdown two in the run up to Christmas and drop into our tears, I was really fortunate enough to steal a little bit of time away from Hannah. Hannah is a senior or was a senior respiratory physiotherapist working for the nhs she's now moved on to new uh, fresher challenges but still working within the nhs but yeah what's really important is that hannah was in the thick of it as you um, as you might call it as with all the other nhs stuff during the main um, during the main covid lockdown Originally recorded as an exclusive for um, our Battle Bootcamp members. If Hannah refers to any numbers or data, she's doing it specifically for a um, for a, a given area. Let's get over and listen to the audio cut of that interview. So yeah, um, Hannah, we might as well get on with it. I suppose this sort of chat has been a real long time coming, I suppose. We've spoke about you know, getting together and, and chatting before, and I think it's really could potentially tell us during this chat would be sort of really important and really interesting mm-hmm. to a lot of people, especially in the current climate of the respiratory system being really, really important. So I suppose we can just start is, if you just sort of like, obviously introduce, tell us about you, Hannah, I suppose. <laughs> Most people know you, but don't know what you do at work potentially. So yeah, go for it.
1: Yeah, so I've been working as a physio, well, I was working as a physio for eight years, Um, And then I specialised in respiratory, so which I actually didn't realise was a part of physio when I first did the course. Um, And mainly it's working sort of on intensive care, um, clearing people's lungs full of phlegm, um, getting people sort of breathing appropriately, breathing more effectively, um, strengthening their respiratory muscles, seeing patients after they've had operations, making sure that their lungs are clear and physically able to get back up again. Um so yeah, that's the main sort of part of my job. I'm actually not doing that anymore. Um I've gone into some sort of, a bit more of a nursing, advanced nursing role now. Um but yeah, so a lot of it is clearing phlegm. Actually, it's not as when the when the TV cameras <laughs> show videos on ITU, a lot of that is what we're doing is just taking phlegm out of people's lungs. But obviously that's not the bit I'm here to talk about
0: <laughs> today. No, of course not. So I suppose as well, it's like, you know, your your default thoughts when you talk about physio is is like joints and bones and muscles and movement and and you didn't you know you didn't even consider that you might need a a a sort of physiotherapy um returning back to strength sort of function for the respiratory system so it's like so Mm. what would you know like as a as a as a respiratory physio what would your everyday what would Your everyday look like your, your general before pre COVID, you know? What would your day look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so initially, yeah, so initially we'll go on to a, a, intensive care, um, have a little walk around, have a look and see who, who might need us. So we get to work sort of with the ventilators, we can tweak them if we need to, making sure that patients get the good, appropriate pressure and appropriate volume, um, for their weight and for their size, um, and Depends on what they've had done. So a lot of the post-operative patients might not be on a ventilator for very long, but still, because of where they've had their surgery um, and some of the surgery that they do, they have to deflate the lung and things like that. So it's just about making sure that they inflate and kind of get as much volume as they can, really, mm-hmm. um, to go back to back to normal. Um, the more sicker patients, then, will have a risk of retaining lots of sputum because you every day you're clear, you clear about a liter of phlegm day and you don't but you don't really realize that because you might just cough and swallow it mm-hmm. you don't really you don't pay much attention to it at all um so obviously those patients that are sedated and ventilated can't do that themselves so if it does accumulate and then get infected then it accumulates more and then that can cause um some more serious issues down the line in terms of further infection Um so we' spend a lot of time clearing that and um, the easiest way to relate to it is more like your cystic fibrocious patients yeah. so if you can see all the all the techniques that they use, like hitting the chest and shaking the chest and lying them down and that sort of thing. So you can move that on any patient, really, that can't clear their own phlegm So not necessarily just them. So we do a lot of that. Um, and then I used to do an outpatient clinic um, once a week, which involved um, more dysfunctional breathing, which is what we'll talk about a little bit more. In a bit, um, also getting patients to be able to clear their chest on a normal, on a normal day. So the patients that have got the COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, um, and things like that. So very big end of the spectrum, going from outpatients to then kind of your ventilated, ventilated patients, really.
0: I suppose everybody knows the respiratory system, network of organs, tissues, just to help you breathe. But why is breathing important? <laughs>
1: apart from the obvious reason of obviously keeping us alive um getting your oxygen in getting your carbon dioxide out there is a way in which it can become either less effective or more effective or efficient um depending on the pattern in which you do it um so essentially we should all be it's it's a bit of a weird thing because obviously you do it for years and you never think about it and it's something you don't have to tell your body to do but it's something you also can control so it's one of them sort of mixed Uh, Mix things in your body Um, and if for some reason it does go a bit wrong I don't like using that word but for ease um, then there are ways in which that can present itself and you might not realize that it is to do with your your breathing or your respiratory function Um, but then there are ways in which you can train your respiratory system to be more effective because don't forget your diaphragm is a muscle um, and I think most people forget that that needs to be strengthened and maintained as well as well as all your intercostal muscles as well around your ribs that need to be um, as strong as they can, really. Um, there's a big link between your diaphragm and your quads and your diaphragm and your leg muscles in general. Um, so essentially, the stronger your diaphragm is, the less, the longer it takes for it to fatigue. And so the longer time you've got before it wants to draw back the blood from the rest of your, your body, really. So the stronger it is initially, um, the longer it can go without having to take all the energy back from everywhere else so you should be able to go for slightly longer
0: obviously i i talk about always banging on about the importance of not only with running now you know i used i used to talk about that a lot is is sort of breathing patterns when you're running that really help helped me! I found you know like just a, a a two in one out pattern when I've picked my pace up really helps me just maintain that pace and stay focused and just helps my my system just keep. I just find that really really helps. But um, I think I talk about it in when we carry out an effort with a weight, you know, the importance of breathing. I say you know if that's that last thirty to ten to thirty percent of that effort that you're doing, take that big breath in, you know, fill your body up with air. Um, allows your yeah. body to put it where it needs to be before you you excel. So is I also do, Hannah, I do, you know, the Apple, I don't know if you know, Apple Watch have a Breathe um, app and it says, just take a minute out, breathe in seven seconds, breathe out seven seconds over a minute. And that really does relax you. Is there any sort of other sort of things that you can do um, with breathing to to sort of, that, that you would suggest practice, you know, daily?
1: I don't know if anyone's got. If anyone is just sitting down at the moment, so pop, if everyone could just pop one hand on your chest and then one hand on your stomach and by your belly button, And I want you to just take a minute just to see movement because I know some people out there are definitely dysfunctional breathers. Because I'm sad and I can spot them a mile off. Once you kind of realise where your movement is, does it feel mainly from the top or does it feel mainly from the from your abdomen? your stomach. I can't actually see the answers if anyone's writing them down.
0: So for me personally, I think it was like mid.
1: So it's something, it's an interesting thing to think about because it's, again, as I said, it's something you never really think about, but essentially we should be breathing from our stomach all the time. So when you breathe in, your stomach should expand. And when you breathe out, your stomach should go down, which sounds the complete opposite of what anyone has ever taught you before. Mm-hmm. Um and it's essentially it's because that's where that's what you want to activate first. You want your diaphragm to work first and then your lungs fill up from the bottom and then go to the top. So the last bit that should fill up is the very top of your the very top of your lungs. And um, for different different reasons, um, people will start to breathe from up here. And within when you're doing exercise, that is completely normal. That's, you know, that's like the top up bit of your lungs that you need. And um, so don't try and practice any of this at the moment. Um, while you're trying to run up a hill, um, but and there's certain situations where you your breathing will revert to being up at the top. So if you've had abdominal surgery and you find taking a deep breath quite difficult, if you're pregnant, you've you know you've obviously got a baby, you've got a foot in the diaphragm and what have you. And um, but also we're seeing quite a lot of patients that come through that are young women mainly who always walk around with their stomach in because they don't want to look fat. Mm -hmm. And so that patient group then just tends to develop like an upper respiratory um, pattern. Um, The problem with this, obviously you're still breathing, you're still getting your oxygen in, you're still getting everything that you should be. It's not technically, you know, it's not a life or death situation Um, because obviously everyone's still alive whilst they're breathing, but... (laughs) (laughs) So it's not it's not that bad, but some people find that it tips them over into certain um, patterns of breathing that gives them certain symptoms. So you might find that you're short of breath on walking around, or you get to a certain distance when you're running, or you get to a certain incline when you're running, and you get short of breath, um, or you get pins and needles, or you get dizzy quite a lot. You get palpitations, you get chest pain. There's lots of there's lots of little symptoms that come from breathing slightly more dysfunctionally. Is the is the term that they use, and um, one of the theories behind it is that when you breathe from the top, because you're not filling your lungs all the way, your respiratory rate goes up a bit, and you don't notice at rest your respiratory rate is a bit faster. And what they think happens is that you blow off a lot of your carbon dioxide, and then you get all these other symptoms such as tingling fingers and tingling around the lips, so you feel like you've got a really tight tight face where you get dizzy. Um, so that's one theory that could be that could be happening. Um. So yeah, that's that's that bit. So how <laughs> it's a bit. It's a bit no, it's, I was going to say it's quite confusing because obviously people you're breathing forever. Like, why would you know? <laughs> why would you think that there's anything wrong with mm-hmm. what you're doing?
0: I, so. I think I think it's really important, like really interesting, the fact that you said is um, people sort of not breathing correctly because they're breathing in all of the time you know holding their stomach in whatever um breathing yeah. in all of the time and one of the big things in the the sort of fitness industry was um big talking points was keep your core tensed whenever you can whenever you think about it tense your core tense your core and that could potentially you know um based on what you're saying there potentially cause that breathing dysfunction as well is is there any sort of exercises that you can um any exercises that you can practice that you can do daily or just to just to practice this
1: yep so essentially it's pretty much just as simple as try (laughs) when you're sitting down relaxing just have one hand on your stomach and just try and when you breathe in it can be a bit you can do it sort of forcefully at first to get your diaphragm into that habit of working But just do gently, do some deep breaths, and just try and get that stomach moving, but not your chest. And it's a lot harder than it seems if that's not the way that you that you breathe initially. Also, trying to breathe through your nose as much as you can. Obviously, difficult for some people, rugby players and things like that. You know, that have broken noses fifteen times, boxers, um, anyone that's got any sinus issues. It's a lot. Obviously, it's a lot more difficult. Um, But generally, we should all be breathing through our nose because it activates your it makes your diaphragm activate first whereas when you breathe through your mouth it's faster again all these things are very small differences but when you breathe through your mouth it's faster and then it just fills up the top of your lungs very quickly um which again during exercise is completely completely normal um but at rest you should be relaxed your shoulders shouldn't be moving you shouldn't be using any neck muscles you shouldn't be using any chest to a certain degree and you should be mainly abdominal mainly through your nose um and you shouldn't be able to hear it. So anyone that breathes really loudly, again, that's a little bit of a sign that it's a bit dysfunctional. You should be able to just completely be almost silent in your breathing. Again, apart from when you're exercising. Because
0: <laughs> yeah, any questions,
1: you let me know. Anna
0: actually said, You heard my dysfunctional breathing today. <laughs> and she said again, she, her question was, How do you change it? How you know, how would you yeah. how would you go ahead and how you know I know you just said you, you spoke about exercises to do that so how long yeah. would you do you think it would take to to notice a difference and would you notice any difference diff- yourself
1: yeah it's difficult patients that have had symptoms um that I've seen in clinics so they'll come in with their shortness of breath or their pins and needles or um one other thing one other symptom that's quite um common is bloating because the more that you breathe through your mouth the more air uh, just gets into your stomach and yeah. um, so that's quite that's quite a common one obviously I do need to say that if you do start getting palpitations chest pain chest tightness pizza needles all those things please go and see your GP because it might not be your breathing that obviously a lot of my patients that have come to clinic have been around the circle of it's not cardiac it's not neurology it's not anything else so what could it be and it takes GPs quite a long time to think that it could be a, just something as simple as your breathing pattern and um, obviously, if you do get any of those symptoms, please just <laughs> please get it checked out first before you just try and practice your breathing um so the if you've come in, if you've got symptoms like that um and there's a lot more about it online, then it usually takes a lot longer than how so if you've had your symptoms for six months, for example, it could take a lot longer than that to get your breathing pattern right, so it can take a very, very long time, which is what I found in clinic was really really hard because a lot of patients want like an instant instant fix and it, it does not it does not happen because it's a habit you may have had for 20 years and trying to change your breathing pattern in that because that's how you're again getting a bit more scientific your brain um, tells you how to breathe by the receptors that are going on in your chest Um, so if you always breathe from the, from the top bit of your chest um, and your brain notices that as soon as you try and stop that and breathe from somewhere else breathing and you get a bit of a you can feel a bit sort of like a suffocating type of feel which isn't very nice but isn't harmful because you can control your breathing mm-hmm. um sorry if i'm muffling a little bit no, no. um but the, the main the main thing to do is just every time you're sat down either sitting lying standing is a bit more difficult but every time you're sat down just practice breathing through your nose quiet breathing um and trying to use your abdomen for everything um it's easier in lying and sitting because your core actually has nothing else to do Whereas when you're standing, your core has to support your entire upper body. Yes. Um, so it's hard, it's a lot harder in standing, and obviously then it's a lot harder in walking, running, and that sort of thing. There are, you may have seen online there are things called inspiratory muscle trainers, mm-hmm. which a lot of athletes use. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are things that you breathe in against resistance with. Yeah. Um, and they're ve- they're very good. They're very good for top athletes who want to improve. Um, their diaphragmatic strength and their respiratory function. Um, they're not so much necessary in the general population, but if you want to buy one and try it, then then do. They're on Amazon. Um, and then they're really, really good for patients that have come potentially out of intensive care, that need respiratory training. Um, and, yeah, but mainly your top-end sort of sports people. Really, really like them. Um, so I've had a few patients in clinic where so one guy was a triathlete and he could cycle he could do his swim absolutely fine he could cycle 25k that was it and past that he just found that his breathing was completely completely off and it's because at that point he starts to get fatigued he goes into a bit more of a hunched position and just starts using sort of the inappropriate muscles at the time Mm -hmm. and so to get that I gave him one of the inspirational muscle trainers Mato had to get him on a bike for quite some time to see his pattern change. And then that's when you start to, so, so there's things that when you notice, actually I can only get to this level and then it changes. Just try and work out what, at that level, what happens? Is it your posture changes? I mean, I'm probably quite a good person to watch because my running posture is awful. But do you do your shoulders sort of sag forward? Do you start to crouch? Mm-hmm. And do your, you know, is your core gone? Um, and are you not relaxed? anymore so having a good relaxed running pattern is really really good because it means your shoulders don't get quite so involved mm-hmm. in your breathing um again it's all relative and again as well as the intensity of the exercise that you're doing
0: yeah of course you, you say about the um about the trainers and i know what is it i think it's aero fit you can get the AeroFit fit pros they are quite expensive yeah. but. Both- and about two hundred two hundred quid, but basically yeah. you have a you have a dial. It's like a um I don't know, almost yeah. like yeah, like a, a breathing apparatus for diving. Um just a small one. Yeah. And it and it provides resistance for your breathing, right? So you you, you adjust yeah. the dial, it provides you the dial up. Yeah, and um yeah, I've I've heard nothing but good things about them. You know, they're really supposed to really help you um yeah, help you help you breathing get better, help you breathing get stronger. I suppose it's um, it's really important. Um, an another thing that that sort of I took me such a long time to work this out as well that I used to suffer with have celiacs and obviously when we breathe you inhale proteins dust. Mole pollen, and I notice it more now. You know, if I run in the summer, especially where we live now, if I run in the summer and I run past some of the fields that have just been cut, um, you know, like the wheat fields and stuff there, <laughs> it's like gluten, like breathe. And yeah. my, um, yeah, my, my throat, I can feel it swelling and and it, and it closes, and, and I and I, I really have. Difficulty breathing, or just have to just keep away from whatever it is for a while. You know, after after an hour or so, it'll sort of go down and a lot better. So, and I I can only relate that to what maybe sort of chronic asthma sufferers might might sort of feel, or asthma sufferers in general. You know, might feel. So it's um, it just sort of Mm. really highlights the importance of the airway and you know everything functioning correctly. What about with with age? Anna, How, how does how does it affect our respiratory system as we age?
1: So obviously, the fitter you are, and the longer you can keep keep that up, the better, yeah. the better you'll be. And um, and as everyone knows, the biggest thing about your respiratory system is to not smoke yeah. or, or vape or inhale other people's smoke. But your your lung volumes do decrease, and um, the older that you get, the elasticity in your lungs um, gets worse. Take quite as deep a breath every time. Um, your muscles get weaker. Obviously, around your so the muscles in between your ribs, your diaphragm itself do all get weaker. Um, obviously, the older you get, the more prone you are to more diseases. So, your chronic obstructive pulmonary diseases, your things like ones that's called bronchiectasis which is basically an adult form of cystic fibrosis, to put it simply. And um, so, you produce a lot more phlegm. And um, within your airways, you have little hairs that help to bring up the phlegm, and they kind of die off as we age and that sort of thing. So, it's really important to keep your respiratory function as good as you can do. And um, but a lot of it will be about your training and keeping yourself fit and generally overall being as being as fit as you can do because the stronger you are generally the stronger your muscles are at that at that time obviously there are you know there are things that you know these illnesses you can get at any time whether you're a smoker non-smoker no matter how old you are it doesn't you know it can hit anybody so just like covid but it does help you generally in the long term the stronger you are generally the stronger your respiratory muscles will be as well
0: interesting and what about yeah. um what about diets Hannah, how does 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 that affect or impact diet itself?
1: No, but your weight.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. Okay.
1: Um, the more the more uh, fat you hold around your stomach, the harder you're to push against that, and so that that does um put on, especially you know, and obviously the bigger you are, and we're talking quite extreme here. The harder it is for you to walk, and the harder it is to for you to get that volume in, just because a lot of it is due to the pressure that you have from from the body fat tissue that you have and um, when you're lying down so a lot of patients there are that are quite big it does happen to patients that aren't quite so big but for some people that are um at the higher level of of on the scale when they lie down they then have to use some machines to kind of hold their airways open because they're so not so much diet in itself but make sure you maintain sort of a healthy body weight
0: so I think sort of going in nicely to that. I've I think I've I've spoke to you before. Discussed my sort of annoyance with you before. It sort of people on social media, dietitians, nutritional people saying to people that that you know, it's, cardio is not that important. It's all about calories in, calories out. That's what important. Of course, you know we've done lots of talks over that over the the, the, the last few weeks about that, and and that is really really important. But you know I've I've heard like real high profile people say is like if you want to get your cardio in each day, just park further away at the car park at the supermarket you know that that's going to sort your cardio out for you and that that really re- really sort of stresses me out it really does annoy me it's like these people are, are generally pts as well and you're you're saying to people you need to do your strength and conditioning work but you didn't need it's all right these muscles here that that we need to breathe and our heart and and all of that And you know you just spoke about the diaphragm is you don't really need to work them you know so they're okay they'll look after themselves yeah. and covid sort of highlighted the importance to have a good strong functioning respiratory system so what 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 would you say to people about you know it's like if they're thinking right just <laughs> walking from my car to there is enough cardio or is there, is there things you can do just sort of easily from your own home in in order to strengthen your your respiratory system
1: I guess you know obviously cardio is important it's not just important for your um you know calorie burn or whatever because obviously it does burn quite a lot of of calories but it does also a lot of it does relate to sort of your VOT max so that is the amount of basically how effective your body is at using oxygen um and the but the best way to measure that is is in a lab with one of the marks and you're on a treadmill for ages until you sort of fatigue your smartwatch can give you and um, sort of like a trying to work out what it's what it's called really it's like a relative VOT max so it's obviously it's not measuring exactly what's coming in and what's coming out but it can sort of work out how fit you are it's by your weight your height and your heart rate and your oxygen saturations that go through the device so the higher vo2 max that you've got um is the longer that you can you know the longer you can train without having to rest or without fatiguing um and the way to improve your vo2 max is definitely by cardio so whether that be going you know, running swimming cycling rowing and those sort of endurance things but also mixed up with um things like your interval training your hit sessions anything that increases your heart rate and makes you you know makes you out of breath because that's that essentially that's good so telling telling people to walk you know use the stairs instead of the lift and get off the get off the bus to stop earlier etc there are ways in which you can add in um steps to your day add in a little bit of functional fitness to your day you know they're they're really really good tips for someone starting out or um doesn't really know where to start from a sort of getting fitter perspective or someone that's quite overweight trying to start off losing weight and they don't really know what to do they're really really good tips in your day but you can become very comfortable with them quite quickly And so you're, in order to have your body as optimum as it can at rest, you need to push it to the point where you're, you're stressing your body. And as you mentioned before, it's the you stress, not just a, it's not a bad stress. It's a good stress. Um, Yeah. You need to, you need to do sort of above and beyond what you do every day. So if you get off the bus and stop early every day, soon that's going to become your normal. And then your body gets used to that and then just goes back to where it was before. You might be fitter, but you're still not pushing yourself to the point where your body needs to stress and needs to adapt. Um, so all those things are really, really good as a baseline and things to maintain. Maintain your maintain your fitness and that sort of thing. Um, and no one really wants to be sharing lifts and stuff anyway at the moment. So, um, But with, um, yeah, in order for your body to adapt and continue to and continue to adapting um, and making those changes that you might want to see, you do need to include the cardio and you do need to push your body body in, in that in that sense um by pushing yourself to the point where your body needs to adapt to that stress but in the same you need to make sure that your body then recovers after that otherwise that adaptation doesn't to the point that you want it the point that you want it to so all those things are really really good little tips but uh i'll be watching this and think it's really really important to you know to push yourself i think personal trainers should be Careful in saying that that is enough. Yeah, agree. Because that. you might be strong and you might be fit, but if you can't run for the bus, then that's functionally that's not yeah. and, <laughs> gonna I'm, I'm, help I'm, you I'm, in general. In Hannah, general Hannah,
0: Hannah, I've always said, right, is is the the time that you realise you can't run is when you need to run as well. It's like you don't know you can't yeah. run until you need to, and then you're like, oh, hang on a minute, I can't run. <laughs> <laughs> and I've missed my bus. So, um, yeah. so yeah, it's really important. Stella says um, it's all very interesting, and things definitely change over the years. It's very important to manage your asthma, as as, as Stella says. You know, she's found out, and yeah. I suppose what I see, you know, from from the sessions, from my point of view, is is um, over the years, is people who turn up for the sessions with with asthma and and say, look can you carry this for me? I might just need it at a certain point, you know, as, as as they get fitter and as they get stronger, the less they're concerned about, you know, whether, well, how close their inhaler is to them or the less, Mm -hmm. the less, you know, they, they're, they're quite, they're quite comfortable in, in, being out of breath and and being able to recover the cells, which is which is really yeah. sort of interesting and um and, and quite good to see as well. Andy just says at the moment my cardio cardio and breathing is abysmal um due to long term injury. <laughs> Am I right in saying the best quickest way to recover is speed marching, jogging, leading to running? Um <laughs> I love I, mean, I love his bitch. persistence, I love his persistence. I'm gonna yeah. come round there, Lewis, and I'm gonna sort you right out. You have to think about your knee and I've told you this, you know, it's like (laughs) your cardio is going to be a bit woeful at the moment because you've not been using it as much um, because of your long-term injury, I think. I think me personally, Mm -hmm. Hannah. You know, from from my point of view, I'd say to say to Andy is is let's get your knee sorted and then we will focus on your cardio. You know, it's like
1: we yeah
0: yeah, 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 you (laughs) can't you can't uh, definitely (laughs) let's focus on the knee, Andy. Let's make that better. Let's make that strong. Let's strengthen all those pieces around that. Let's get your body strong and then let's look at your cardio. You know, is is. And I do understand being sort of ex-military myself where where Andy's thinking is at is because the old before the education around fitness becomes such a big thing and such a mainstream thing, it's the military way was unless you're hanging – you're not working, you know, it doesn't matter what pain you've got in your body, just keep, you know, keep going, can you breathe? Yeah, can you talk? Yeah, just keep going, you know, it's like, hang on a minute, my leg's hanging off, it's... um, (laughs) So, and Andy still sort of takes his... He has his mindset that, that way focused, you know, it's like, I need to be blowing, absolutely blowing and sweating beyond control before i think that i'm working so Mm -hmm. um katie says hannah i I, you are awesome i have asthma but lucky that it is so well controlled now and this is certainly something that has been down to improving my respiratory fitness Um, and then katie goes on to say i know that's not the case with everyone with asthma is so variable um i know i'm fortunate so i don't know that that will help asthma
1: um, yeah, it will it will help. And one thing, so with so with dysfunctional breathing, asthmatics are very very prone to being dysfunctional, and a lot of it is because and um, actually, asthmatics in this country do the worst out of everyone in Europe, and for different for different reasons, really. So it's it's really overdiagnosed here in okay. the UK. Um, basically anyone that comes in with a cough, no matter what age you are or a little bit of shortness of breath, you'll get given an inhaler. Um, but no one's actually taken the time to look at your breathing, look at what might be going on with your breathing and um, work out whether it's, you know, a lot of people with hay fever get diagnosed with seasonal asthma. Oh, that's just hay fever. Um, and it is doing everything that you described earlier, Mark, about kind of making you feel like your throat's closing up a little bit and that sort of thing. Um, the exercise induced asthma quite common um and again the type right, are sort of unknown really your airways just have a tendency to sort of go into a bit of bronchospasm without you know when when that is that high intense high breathing rate and that is you know that's something that is a natural thing but for the most part you you know asthma is very very individual and one thing that does really imitate their inhalers because <laughs> it is um very variable in how in how people do it and how well it's done and that's not something you're taught when you're given an inhaler. You're actually not taught to use it correctly and use it appropriately. And it depends on you, but some people use it before they get symptoms to prevent it. But essentially what you should be doing is using it after you've got your symptoms. So you, the whole point of having your blue inhaler is a reliever, but you can't relieve anything you haven't got yet. Yeah. So essentially you should be using it as, as, it's, as it's required and you should be taking it when your symptoms come on, when your breathlessness comes on,
0: mm-hmm.
1: rather than... Using your blue inhaler to prevent anything because that's actually not
0: what it's there for. Yeah, again, um, I think from from my side, Hannah. You know, when I've seen people really keen and really eager to to, oh, I need my in- inhaler. It's like I, I do think. Well, actually, do you? <laughs> it's like are you mm-hmm. just not out of breath? Um, and yeah. and without suffering with asthma myself, I I don't know how I would. You know how how would I as as a you know somebody who's take as an instructor as a PT if I'm taking a session. Yeah. Um, you know how would I are there any sort of key indicators for me to look out, out for uh
1: wheeziness. if someone gets to the point where they're really wheezy and they want their inhaler then please give it to them
0: yeah yeah yeah. of course yeah, yeah
1: the person should know themselves what is you know what is appropriate for them in terms of how short of breath they can get without needing it and a lot of the time it is and I'm not putting anyone with asthma down <laughs> just to no. say it is a very very mm-hmm. um it's a very horrible condition and a very very under it's got a lot of understanding to be I think that's still needed. I think there's a lot of misdiagnosis, underdiagnosis, overdiagnosis. You know, it's all very, it's very sort of wishy-washy. And I think people just use it as a term that's not, and they don't think it's as important as it actually is when it does, when it does strike. It's a, it's a you know, it's a life limit, it's not a life-limiting disease, but it's a disease that can very quickly lead to something, mm-hmm. you know, not very nice and a, a person becoming very, very unwell. So, but I think in this country, we take it very lightly. I think a lot of the ownership needs to go on the person and for them to to push themselves but recognise what they can do within the limits of their of their asthma. Um, always having your inhaler on you is is completely, completely appropriate. Um but try not to overuse it before you've managed to calm kind of calm your breathing down in a in a natural sort of slow way. If that means, you know, you're out on a run with somebody and you need to stop and calm it down, then that's you know, that's perfectly fine. Um but just try and do that before you reach initially for your inhaler because Essentially, if, you, if you use it when you're really, really short of breath from an exercise perspective and you can calm it down, um, you're sort of wasting it, essentially, because you'll be blowing that much off, you'll just blow it out of your mouth again. Um, so do try and calm your breathing down as much as you can do um, before you then feel the need to take it. But understanding your asthma is probably the most important important thing, knowing what you can and can't.
0: Yes, yeah, that's really important, I suppose, is, is, like you said, I think understanding... Yeah, how far you can almost? How far can I push this? You know, before you know, before the wheels fall off almost, and I need to, um, yeah, just understanding your own body, I suppose, and how that's working. Right, it's um, really important. So um, obviously, as well, one thing that that I'd I'd like to just quickly chat about is what? Well, say quickly, go on for forever, I suppose. Is is COVID and and how your <laughs> or how the life of a respiratory physio. Um, I'm, you know, just from what we've spoke about, I'm quite sure it changed dramatically your your everyday life from a working perspective. That is,
1: yeah, no, it, it did. We, you know, all our team changed our shift pattern, and worked much longer hours, and obviously had to wear all the all the PPE and all the kit and stuff. Which a lot of the news reports say that we didn't have enough, but if you watch Point West, and we but we actually did. We were fine. Um, it, it was really, really difficult because the patients that you came in, the, it was so unknown in April as to what would happen to them. Um, they could be young, they could be old, they could be male, they could be female. You actually didn't know which ones would survive and which ones wouldn't. And that was probably the hardest thing to come to terms with. Our job for changed. we thought that we'd be really, really busy from a respiratory phlegm perspective, but it was not that much to do with that sort of thing. It was more the ventilation. Um playing with the ventilators, trying to later and um, keeping their lungs expanded—that sort of thing. It was that type of physio that we had to try and try and do. But because it was so unknown, you didn't really know what you were getting into every single day, and what patients would present with what. Um, I think from out of the acute uh, side of things, you may have heard of something called long COVID. Um, so a lot of patients now are finding that they are still fatigued. Either they might have had it in March and they still are tired they still can't breathe properly they're still absolutely knackered and it's just a virus has completely completely wiped them Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously because it's the first time we've seen it no one really knows how long this is going to go on for and so getting your you know anyone that has had it or knows of anyone that has got it it's good to make sure that you are slowly getting yourself back into your fitness if you can don't try anything too too quickly too soon listen to your body um, but also your breathing is really, really important, and making sure that you can make it as effective as as possible. But I think with those people that have had had the had COVID and are still finding things really, really difficult, a lot of it at the moment is just to just listen, listen to your body, recover when you need to, rest when you need to. Yeah. So kind of work did change massively, but I think we're going to see a lot more effects from it afterwards. At the moment,
0: and, and um, did you find you know like in your your daily work is that that the people that you were working alongside sort of relied on you or look to you for advice or what's going on here? What what can we do to make this better or?
1: Yeah. Um, Cause I was a, so when you enter the NHS, you're as a professional, you're a band fan and six. I was a senior, senior respiratory physio. And so, yeah, we had a lot of people that had come. So we have a patient, but well, basically we've got a list of people that are on our on-call and weekend rotor and a lot of them don't work in respiratory every day. Mm-hmm but they were all redeployed back, back to work. And being one of the seniors, you know, people asked me for my opinion and what to do and advice on each patient. And I felt like I couldn't really give that information because I didn't know, the consultants didn't know, NHS England didn't know, like Public Health England didn't know. No one in the world, like the world, tried this ventilator assessing if that doesn't work, take it off and put them on back on the one that they were on. A lot of it was trial and error.
0: You know, have we, have we learned a lot of lessons? Are, are we are we going in the right direction? It's like, what, what is the future?
1: As a, kind of as an intensive care and as a respiratory ward and things like that, they're definitely doing things a bit differently um, than they were. They're trying not to bring patients you know, straight to intensive care and getting them on a ventilator because that is what they did in the first wave. But actually a lot of people have um, managed a lot more before that point. They also went to one of the drugs, so the steroids. And they're giving that out to patients a bit more so there's a yeah there's a lot more a lot of things that have been learned in the first in the first wave. None of us as far as I'm aware none of the physios have been redeployed back to work um on ITU at the moment and they seem to um be coping with it a bit better on the ward but getting in is still similar, still sort of 50-ish, D and 80 year old patients. A lot of them are overweight, a lot of them are diabetic a lot of them have previous sort of heart disease and things like that so the patients that are coming in are are pretty similar to what we had before but also surprisingly a lot of them there are quite a few patients coming through that are sort of 30s mid 30s that have been very sick um and that's when it gets a bit more scary actually Mm because that's my that's my age that's my group that's my family and that sort of thing so it's still very unpredictable which is the scary the scary part about the whole thing
0: what what's their sort of standard duration in hospital i don't know is that even a, is there even a, a a fair question can you you know is there is there a is there a time period that you would expect for a patient to be in
1: um i think the average we're seeing is about our longest stay in the first wave was 63 days um so it can vary between between those but it also does depend on what they need so we've had we have had a few patients that have been sick enough to require sort of a separate Type of treatment and um, sort of like a lung filter type system it's called ecmo and that's that only done in the brompton is our nearest is our nearest um hospital and so we've actually had three patients that have gone down there this time mm-hmm. so i don't know how so that'll be dependent on how long they they stay really but it's about two weeks but then that ranges that can that can extend very very quickly if, if you're put on a ventilator and you don't take to it very well or your lungs are a bit more um, affected than they once thought, or you know, it's it's very individual, but two weeks is, seems to be what we're seeing at the moment.
0: And what's the sort of um, what's the what's the aftercare advice for then, you know, somebody, you know, being um or well, off your pop? What, what 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 is your sort of um, <laughs> what is the aftercare advice for that?
1: Um, it's difficult on the patients on ITU. There are um support groups now that were set up to help them, and when they come back and they have a physio, they have a psychologist. Um, and then they've got the nurses. And so that's very helpful. But that's usually just the patients that have been on ITU. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the patients on the ward do sort of tend to get forgotten about a little bit. But again, to them, support-wise, as far as I'm aware, unfortunately, I don't think they get much at all. I think they have a follow-up x-ray. And I think they have a follow-up appointment with the respiratory consultant just to make sure that things are improving and going on the right track. Mm-hmm. Um, but from sort of an exercise perspective or recovery perspective, as far as I'm aware there isn't really much to go on, and that's quite annoying actually
0: yeah I, th- I think I think there should be something you know sort of nationwide at a at a higher at a higher level um really trying to emphasize and and stress the importance of of the um, the sort of health and fitness um the health and fitness thing um, because it's something you can you, you know just just get out and, and walk you know we, we see lots of people out walking in our annoyingly, you know, uh, spaces that we like to work, don't we? So, uh, but it's it's really good to see those people out there. Izzy says that there is an opportunity for patients to be referred, if required, to the outpatient respiratory clinic. However, there is an overall demand with... Um, with our one clinician trying to cope with the demands of the backlog from service stops, the last wave. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it looks like Hannah's been um, been disconnected. There, that's that's okay though. I think we we sort of done anyway. And just really, really interesting for me. I, I thought that was awesome. So um, so thanks a lot to Hannah and all the um, all the awesome people that commented as well about um, about the little things there. Yeah, we'll leave it there. We've been going for an hour. So thanks a lot for your time, everybody. Hope you all have an awesome afternoon and um, take care. I'll speak to you all soon.